the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. IDP leagues are not for suckers, but I just thought that was funny. That was a clip from the very first episode of Ballers on HBO. And now I'm not paid to say that, but if you have been enjoying that, uh, so have I. So um, I'm really trying to uh, hunt Richard Mendenhall down, who is a co-writer on that show, to get him on the show, but uh, seems to be a uh, impenetrable uh, force there, HBO. So uh, if anybody out there is listening that would like to grant us an interview, uh, have at you're listening to the dynasty pulse podcast i am joshua johnson with me is as always is the handsome nick hale the redskins wagner what's up nick oh not much josh uh, a little worried about kelvin benjamin hope his mri turns out okay but you gotta expect the worst when you hear about the no contact injuries to the knee mm-hmm. especially those big big guys with long legs yeah yeah um Geez, do you own him in any leagues? Do you have him in our uh, offense only leagues? I do not, thank goodness. Oh, I don't believe I do either, but uh, yeah, that uh, can't be good. Other injuries out there, I know Sean McCoy's a little dinged up, and it's, as is Carlos Williams, uh, Landon Collins, my uh, son, I love him so much, is probably not going to play the rest of the preseason with a sprained MCL, so... Certainly something that I don't like to hear, but you should keep your eye on that. Well, we have a wonderful show for you today. Uh, wonderful sounds so uh, uplifting. Uh, tremendous show, I should say. We have uh, making a triumphant return to join us, and that's a guy from our old podcast. Um, we're going to call him the odd man. It's Chuck Podeski. He is going to help us out with the Vegas odds throughout the year and also read an article on DFW to help you uh, – Degenerate betters out as well. So I uh, look forward to having Chuck on here in about eight minutes. And then after that, we're going to have uh, Bill Layton come on, who is kind of our, our auction specialist here at DFW. So we can get you all you auction guys uh, prepared for your auction this year. So uh, hopefully we can uh, help you all out with that. Of course, we're going to have a dynasty dilemma. Do some dynasty trade analysis. Uh, depth, we're going to do a dynasty depth charger. Uh, Dynasty Dilemma as we pit Carlos Hyde versus TJ Yeldon. That should be interesting. As I think Nick's defending Yeldon for at least the second time, maybe third. Um, it feels it feels like a lot. A uh, um, couple uh, Nick's going to rant about uh, some bitter and selfish college quarterbacks. We should say I'll give you a, a pros versus Joe's draft update, and then we can talk about the best number twenty-four in NFL history. And, you know, I, before, I didn't even really think about it, but uh, that's uh, quite the number in NFL history. And I haven't, uh, haven't dove too far into the, uh, the Hall of Fame people on that one yet, but uh, there's some quite notable people that we're going to talk about, obviously, with that one. Uh, next week, uh, we will be on regular time uh, with uh, Chris Ransom of DraftUtopia.com. 
Chris is a great, uh, great friend of mine, and they do amazing work over there at Draftopia. The kid is just cranking stuff out left and right for all kinds of sports. But uh, we're going to have Chris talk on as we talk about this year's uh, bust candidates. So the following week, we're going to have Mike Kraffick on, another DFW uh, homer, not homer, uh, native son. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Mike Kraffick is going to be on and talk sleepers. And then we have the September 9th podcast, which is the week, the day before the first NFL game. That's right. The season is finally here. Um, and we have a monster guest for you that day as we have Howard Bender coming back uh, for, uh, to join me and Nick again. Uh, he is uh, the uh, sensei over at uh, Fancy Alarm, podcaster extraordinaire, and extremely uh, funny man and a good friend of ours. So we look forward to having Howard on as we do some a little prediction show and get you ready for the season. Uh, but let's just hear what DFW can do for you if you become an insider. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our insider membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the insider membership plus our rookie draft kit. Insider membership itself is $24.99, just the rookie guide is $9.99. DFW is worth Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider Articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over 1,000 articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty Expert Rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 free roll tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership. Just $30 a year. just wondering where you were when you heard about Chris Johnson signing with Arizona as a David Johnson owner. Are you worried? 
A uh, little worried just because David Johnson's uh, dinged up a little bit. Uh, one of the most popular players here at DFW, but I, I think long-term he'll be all right. I'm not really worried about Chris Johnson at his age taking playing time away from Johnson if Johnson's ready to play. Yeah, just a one-year deal, so obviously it seems like a uh, just-in-case kind of moment there. So, uh, uh, But we'll see. You know, I mean, he... He is certainly a, a player that some creative defensive, excuse me, offensive coordinators have been able to use. And uh, I think uh, we would, most people would uh, call Bruce Arians a creative uh, offensive mind in the NFL. So uh, we'll see. You know, I don't, this is necessarily a move in the lack of confidence in David Johnson. Uh, I think it's. I think it's maybe made because he's hurt and also because they don't fully trust uh, Andre Ellington to uh, carry the load. But uh, I guess we'll see. I own Ellington in the league and Nick owns Johnson in several leagues. So I guess one of us could be happy or we could both be very upset come come midweek. So, uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, Chuck Podeski, excuse me, uh, is going to be joining us very shortly here. Uh, but um, so we won't have time for the dynasty dilemma, but we will get to that later here. Um, let's do the dynasty depth charger. Now, um, this is something that we've been doing the last couple of weeks where we kind of get you ready for some guys that we see uh, jumping up the uh, jumping up the ranks as far as uh, up the depth chart ranks, we should say, on their various teams. Uh, and I want to talk about Tremaine Johnson. He's a cornerback uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, excuse me, Arizona Cardinals. St. Louis Rams. Uh, part of that was right for one sport. Uh, obviously, they just lost EJ Gaines to a foot injury for the entire season. So that is a huge loss for them. And I know most IDP leagues do not do not require cornerbacks, but he is certainly somebody to take a look at. He's got three years' experience, started 20 games, uh, eight career interceptions, had three last year, and a pick six as well. Uh, when he was a when he started 12 games in 2013, he made 58 tackles um, for the uh, for the Rams. So uh, certainly a, a, a young player that they were looking forward to being in competition with uh, EJ Gaines, and probably one of those guys who end up being their. Uh, they're nickelback this year, but uh, look for Johnson to certainly leave a mark on this team this year. And uh, he is, uh, like I said, he's a cornerback, but he certainly does his fair job of uh, helping out with the run game. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that going right now, around right now with injuries, but I think this is a definite one because uh, Gaines is out for the year. Um, another guy I kind of like too is Marcus Peters up in Kansas city or over in Kansas city, I guess we'll, we'll move over from St. Louis to Kansas city uh, is uh, Sean. Sean Smith is suspended for the first four games. So Peters could be uh, forced into a starting role there as a rookie uh, kind of got about a little bit of a mouth on him, but I think he's got a athletic prowess to be, to back it up. So make sure you check that out. Uh, if Marcus Peters is available and you need that type of player. But we have the odd man on the phone. Um, I almost forgot his music. He would kill me if I forgot his music. No, he wouldn't. But yeah.
right, like I said, DFW's uh, own odd man, Chuck, today, is now joining us. He's going to help us out with ATS picks throughout the year. But now we're going to get uh, get things squared away for some preseason predictions. Uh, Chuck, I don't know if you approve of your new nickname, but I just thought it was kind of a fun play on words. I appreciate a good play on words. What is up, Mr. Pedestal? What? No, tell me, tell me the nickname again, Josh. <laughs> the odd man. Oh, the odd man. Okay, good. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could think of man, uh, I could think too... of worse things to be called. Yeah, it's been too long. But seriously, you got you got a voice. You got a radio voice, man. I, I love it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to talking each and every week as the NFL season uh, bores on, we should say. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, it's Chuck. Thanks, Bidet. Josh. Maybe. You have maybe seen his uh, some various articles by him uh, on DFW since we joined. We kind of brought him along with us. Um, he was kind of the package deal. I told Dan he had to take he had to take Nick and Chuck if you <laughs> yeah, stay okay. to me. So <laughs> not that not that he did so uh, he did so uh, unwillingly. <laughs> I'm just like, well, these guys. I mean, I can't do the podcast without Nick. And seriously, you yeah, need well. a count like Chuck. You must have had something. Me, so. You must. You must have had something. Something to blackmail him with. Bail him with too. There, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, would say, I, I thank. Uh, thanks for all the great things you said. I was in radio all my life before I changed to casinos out here in Las Vegas. So I know my way around the business in a in a microphone. It's kind of weird doing something over the telephone, but uh, I enjoy doing it every week with you. Uh yeah yeah I'd like to say that the big studio is uh on the way but uh, unfortunately I'm just sitting next to my bed with my shirt off just doing this podcast no shoes yeah. that's just how it goes that's how it goes in podcasting land so um casual just approach. like just like Wayne and Garth yeah <laughs> um in case in the case I wanted to just give Chuck a little bit of credit here because he does some other things behind the scenes that not, maybe some people don't know. If you ever read an article by me on DFW, I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, it's kind of a shorter article. Maybe Josh could have tightened it up a little bit better, or maybe those sentences could have made a little bit more sense. And then you've seen, like, maybe a really long article by me, and you're like, wow, that was really, really good. I can't believe he, he pulled that off, that awesome 4,500-word article. It's because I send it to this guy, Mr. Podaisky, who uh, he's my uh, editing harness, if you will. So I want to make sure that you all know that I don't, I can't do a lot of this stuff alone. I have some great friends and Nick and Chuck that helped me out. And Chuck oh, has certainly what, uh, helped me uh, grace, gracefully, we will say so. I mean, what what can I say when I have a journalism degree? I got to put it to you somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Nick is super excited to hear what the, uh, the Redskins uh, over under on the win total is. So what, what do you got for us? Oh, I forgot the circle of the Redskins. I, I, you know, the Redskins, I just I just don't know on, but their over-under total for the season is only six, and that's not going to be tough to beat. I'm sure that uh, the Nick is very excited about that. Um, in For one way or another, no, nobody expects much of them, and I think until they they come out and, and say, you know, whether, you know, definitely Robert uh, – well, I guess it doesn't matter what they say. It, it's what we see from Robert Griffin the third that will uh, that will make the determination whether they go over that six win total or not. Mm-hmm. Nick, what do you think? Six, six and ten, seven and nine. Uh, I think 
seven and nine would be tough for them to pull off at this point after back to back four win seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I don't. Um, I have zero optimism in that team right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they're the fourth uh, highest odds also to win the uh, the Super Bowl. The, the Redskins are now at a hundred to one uh, behind. Well, the Jaguars are the are the longest odds at two hundred to one. The Titans at one fifty, and the Buccaneers at one twenty to one. Okay, so doing the math here for some laymen, just just so I know, it's been a while since I've called in a bet check. If I put ten bucks on the Redskins. And they win the Super Bowl. What what does a hundred to one get me? That's a thousand dollars. Well, there you go, Nick. Ten dollars. Well, actually, you, that Josh, you'll get you'll get a thousand. You would get a thousand and ten back because they will give you your your bet back also on that one. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> Nick, ten dollars. I can call I can call it in right now for you, but um. <laughs> well, what about my uh, what about my Raiders? I might be a little more optimistic, but I still need to hear the win total. Well, I am fairly bullish on the Raiders this year, Josh. Um, this is Josh, who's the Raider guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Raiders' win total is five and a half, and I think they will blow over that with, uh, with no problem at all this year. I am. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty high on the Raiders. I'm pretty sure that was the same last offseason. And I bet on that, and of course it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, five and a half—that is crazy. I mean, it seems like you know, with all, even all the optimism around this team, everybody says, "Well, it's still the Raiders." I mean, it's still the Raiders. You know, what, what are you going to do? It's still the Raiders. <laughs> um, well, see, that's the thing. That, that's the thing, yeah. Josh. It isn't. It, they aren't still the Raiders. Uh, Jack Del Rio has instilled a, a, a new attitude with the team. Um, Derek Carr's in his second year, and honestly, I wouldn't mind having Carr as my second quarterback on my fantasy football league team either. I think mm-hmm. he is, uh, especially with Amari Cooper and uh, and Michael Crabtree, uh, there for him to throw to. And and I had to ask you something, and and it, and it I was going to ask you this anyway, but I just happened to be listening to the radio this morning to the Dan Patrick show that I listened to many mornings. And he was talking about the Raiders, and he said, you know, they had talked to Derek Carr live on the air. And he says, well, he says, Derek, he says, he needs some kind of running game. And, and I'm thinking, what, what did I miss? I mean, you know, is there, is there not Latavius Murray in the backfield mm-hmm. for, the, for, the, um, for the Raiders? And then, and then Dan said something about, well, you know, Trent Richardson's not the answer. Well, of course he's not the answer. It's Latavius <laughs> Murray. I, did, you know, our, our guys in – Fantasy football-wise, I like Latavius Murray, and I would love to have him as at least my flex player as a running back. And I, I, I think he looked pretty good in the first preseason game. I don't know why the national media doesn't think the Raiders don't have a does, doesn't think the Raiders have a running game. Hmm. Well, he's just got a very small track record. Uh, but you know, there's I know there's a lot of people out there that are taking him as their RB one or RB two right now. So uh, he's you know he's probably going you know fifth or sixth league fifth or sixth round at a lot of dynasty startups and maybe yeah. maybe a little bit early in, earlier in some redrafts because he, he looks to get a bulk of the load even though uh, uh, Roy Halou's there going to be taking some third down receptions away from him. Um, 50-50, it's just flip a quarter if Trent Richardson makes that team right now. So, um, yeah, I know. Win... Does, does does the fantasy world know more than the more than the regular media does, or do? Uh, well, we we like to think so. 
to quote my great friend Howard Bender, when it all boils down, Joe, we're just throwing darts. We're just throwing darts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're uh, right. Any win total out there uh, surprise you, or which one surprised you the most? Well, rather than talk about surprises, I'll just talk about some of them that I like. And most of them are win totals that I think people are going to go over. Uh, the Giants, I'm kind of high on them this year, especially. But check and make sure Victor Cruz gets all the way back. He's been having some trouble getting back from that injury. But with uh, with Beckham and Cruz on the field and the Giants having done so poorly last year and them being in the second year of that their new West Coast offense, uh, the Giants have to improve. And I think they'll they'll go over eight and a half wins this year. Cardinals I'm high on also this year. Been hearing some great things about Carson Palmer, another guy I wouldn't mind having as a fantasy quarterback. Uh, the Cardinals are at eight and a half, and I think they will uh, get over that. The Vikings are seven and a half wins. Uh, I think they have the right mix up there to challenge in the NFC North, and I think they'll easily get over seven and a half wins. Oh yeah, I totally can see the Vikings. You know, you know, maybe some people would like to see them a little bit better. But I mean, if you just if you just would bet that they're going to be an eight and eight team, I I think I would take that. What do you think, Nick? Oh, for sure. And that shocks me. The number on the Cardinals. I mean, this team won won eleven games last year, right? With complete garbage players at quarterback, and now they've got a healthy <laughs> Carson Palmer. How is this eight and a half the number on that? That that blows my mind. Yeah, isn't that weird? And I, I, you know, an eight and a half over eight and a half is just a bet basically on Bruce Arians too. I, I don't think he lets his team be any worse than, than nine and six or nine and seven. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Well, I have some real questions about that defense with old gone, and uh, they they have a real just kind of mishmash of players up especially up in the front seven so maybe maybe that's why that number's down to that uh but uh yeah they're just there's they have some guys with experience but not a whole lot of people that have played together in the front seven so that 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 is certainly a concern for me even though their secondary looks to be very very stout um yeah there's a couple of teams uh, also that i I think are going to go under their total this year um Sure. I'm, I'm uh, being a, being a more positive person. I usually go with the with the overs on those. But I've heard a lot about the Cowboys. Their win total is nine and a half. And you know, b- betting on the Cowboys is like betting on Notre Dame. The, they're such a public favorite that you never seem to get an even number or you know a, a good number. And you know, I've heard I heard somebody that I trust in the in the uh, handicapping world say uh, you know they're an eight and eight team and. You know, so that might be a way to look on the Cowboys. I'm not totally convinced, but the Cowboys seem to never live up to expectations except last year. And uh, another team that I just, I mean, I i think they'll get three wins at best is the 49ers with their new coach. I just don't hear anything positive coming out of San Francisco. Yeah, and any thoughts there, Nick? Uh, well, there's been positive drug tests here and there coming out of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh. there, yeah, there has been. Um, 
I just I just see them in total disarray. I don't I don't know how they're going to win three games even this year. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, who are they? Well, you know, well I I, I think the and Rams what's their are number? I think the Rams are better. Their their number is seven. The San Francisco's number is seven. Yes. Ah, really? More than the Raiders? That's pathetic. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's the sad uh, thing. I'd say five. I'd say I'd say they're a five and whatever team, a five and eleven team. But uh, yeah, I just yeah, they're, they're, I think they have some t- they have some talent there. I think their offense might be better than a lot of people think. But uh, yeah, totally new coaching regime and whatnot, and some very very big questions on defense. But uh, and, and not only totally yeah. new coaching regime, but I don't think anybody can get out of Tom Sulo what he intends to do with the team. I, I don't think he talks very much. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of trust in him on the team. Yeah, and he just kind of looks like that, you know, that that uncle at Thanksgiving that just sits at the end of the table and just eats everything, or not eats everything, but you know, puts everything on his plate and then pours gravy all over it and doesn't say a word. He kind of looks like that. Right. And, and and I think he's <laughs> he's more than anything, I think he is the anti-Harbaugh. He's not going to be Harbaugh. And that's not a mm-hmm. reason to hire a coach. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I think it seemed like they made that move in spite of Harbaugh rather than what was best for, uh, what was best for the team. And, uh, you know, you go from a, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the locker room of Harbaugh, but I, what I would think a really good motivator of players to uh, the gravy uncle, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, right. you, I think you already gave us the uh, the longest uh, Super Bowl odds, Chuck. But what are what are some of the what are some of the top? I'm sure, like you know, Seattle and New England are up there. What are what are some of those numbers? Any 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 surprises up there for you? Let's look at it. I'll just run down the list. The Seahawks are the favorite. By the way, these are uh, according to Station Casinos, which is the uh, the casino closest to me out here and the one where I do my betting. And all of them are going to be pretty close to these. Seahawks uh, are four and one, and the Patriots are six. Excuse me, four two one. The Patriots are six to one. Um, Packers are nine to two, which makes them four and a half to win to half to one. So I imagine the Patriots uh, are the second favorite. Or excuse me, the Packers now are the second favorite at nine to two. So that's four and a half to one. So it'll be the Seahawks, then the Packers, then the Patriots. And one interesting thing, Josh, that I needed to uh, to mention is the the fact that the the Patriots over under win total is off the board right now, and you can guess why that is. Mm-hmm because they don't know whether yeah. Tom Brady's going to play or not. So, uh, anyway, Brady, uh, as soon as that's decided, they will probably post a, an over-under win total, but who knows when that will ever get uh, get resolved. A couple of the people, here's some interesting things. Some of the teams that have uh, that have actually gone down in odds, it means a lot of put, people put money on them. You know, I was talking about the Cowboys, how they're a very public team and everybody will bet on them. Well, the, the Cowboys have gone from 10 to 1 down to 8 to 1. They opened at 10 to 1. They went down to 8 to 1. The Colts hmm. have gone from 12 to 1 down to 5 to 1. So the Colts have wow. taken a lot of money to win the Super Bowl. Um, also another team, the Ravens, and I can't explain this. The Ravens opened at, tw- at 20 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They are now down to 12 to 1. 
that is a that's a big drop. And yeah, let me right. see the the Jets have gone Jets went from 100 to one down to 45 to one. They're back to 60 to one. So if you want to get on the Jets, you can get them at 60 to one. But who does? Hmm. Yeah, that is that is interesting. Um, I don't know. I kind of have some weird thoughts about the Jets. I think they might be better this year than a lot of people think. And you know. Defense wins championships. They, they they certainly have a lot of talent there. So we'll see. Any any thoughts there, Chuck? Or Nick, well, the I'm Jets uh, the Jets the Jets win total is seven and a half. So if they're going to be eight and eight, um, you know, that's a you know mediocre team would take the money there. No, I don't know the Jets. I like the fans. Uh, boy, you know, I tend to look at things from a fantasy standpoint a lot. Losing Geno Smith is probably not the worst thing to happen because I think, you know, uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be serviceable. You know, it's like if you really need a quarterback, he won't be he won't be bad. Plus, he has uh, uh, Brian, Brandon Marshall and um, and uh, oh, you Decker, know, former. Yeah, thank you. Eric Decker doesn't have some bad targets to throw to either. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of neutral on the jets. It's like, well, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're going to be bad because when you have a good defense, you're, you're never out of anything. But on the other hand, it's like, come on, get somebody who can throw the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Any thoughts there, Nick, on those teams? Yeah, with the Jets, it's you know they do have a great solid defense, but it's such a quarterback-driven league that I have a hard time trusting in the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Geno Smith quarterback carousel that's likely to take place this year. And eight wins seems like a stretch, especially playing in a division with the New England Patriots and uh, uh, Miami Dolphins, who could be decent too. Yeah, a lot of people yeah, and I, the Dolphins this year. Yeah. And when you really look at it, you know, especially via free agency with them getting Sue and uh, Revis moving to the Jets too, and some other some other things. I know uh, I know Buffalo is in a different uh, a different scheme now with Rex Ryan, but I know a lot of people believe in the defensive kind of football that he likes to play. All these defenses in this division got got better, so it's not like you know the Jets are the best defense in this league by far in this division by far. The Jets. They certainly got better uh, this year with with the ads with Gilchrist and Re- and uh, Williams and Revis, but uh, they, they it's a uh, it's a tough division to break through. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but one the one of the I I made a few a handful of off season bets last year for some two. I made three different Super Bowl ones. The Bengals were thirty three to one. I think the Eagles are twenty-five to one, and then New England was seven to one. So I, I actually, I actually won a preseason, a preseason bet, um, which uh, that bet covered what I owed my bookie that year. So that uh, <laughs> was all good there. So uh, it was kind of the well, let's watch and see what happens. I'm either going to owe some money here or uh, or not at all. And that was that was a nice thing to see. Uh, Malcolm Butler was a uh, a welcomed. Uh, <laughs> welcome sight in well, my eyes. So. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I don't like about those uh, those uh, first of the season bets, like win totals and uh, and you know the Super Bowl, is you got to wait so long. You don't get you can't yeah. go down there make it one day and collect the next day. You got to go the whole season. 
Uh, yeah, but it made, made it at least kind of interesting. And hey, uh, I, I thought at least three of the teams I bet to win the two of the three teams that I bet to win the Super Bowl actually made the playoffs. So I thought that was I thought that you was pretty right. cool. Um, yeah, please let me know I, who you're picking this year so I I can uh, <laughs> pick accordingly. Um, well, I don't know yet, but I can tell you it's not going to be Seattle. I I uh, I've talked. I wrote a, an article about the defenses in this division, and I just think they've lost too many too many uh, bodies, including coaching bodies, over the last couple of years uh, on this team. And I just I just don't see them making it deep into the playoffs again this year. This, I know some people are a little overhyped about Jimmy Graham and this offense, but uh, and you know whatever whatever his role is going to be, uh, certainly it's I think it's better now that he's there this offense but I just don't see uh, I just don't see them making it that far. Do you think Graham's fantasy numbers are better? No. I think Russell Wilson's will benefit, but I think uh I think Graham's maybe we've seen Graham's peak and it's going to start to start probably sliding down unfortunately. So well, I think people have to remember one team. Jimmy Graham was uh, was really good under a passing, high-scoring offense. Now mm. he's going into an offense that doesn't score a lot, and they depend on their defense to win their games for him. So, I, you know, I think his numbers have to go down. And it's yeah, no reflection and... on no reflection on him, just the 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 environment. Uh-huh. Yeah, and most most definitely, you're right there too. When you think about the number of times the the Saints put the ball in the air with Graham, you know, and he's not getting the ball all the time. Now when Russell Wilson drops back, you can you can be darn sure there's a there's a linebacker and probably a safety watching where, what Jimmy Graham is doing because they're not going to let him beat him because he's certainly certainly the the number one passing option in this offense as as of now. So um well Chuck we're running a little long, but I want to have you come back in a couple weeks so we could maybe talk some uh prop bets. Like how many catches will Demarius Thomas have, or something like that? So we'll let you do some hey. prop prop bet research, and you'll meet up. Well, with, you can meet like, up and, and all uh, you know a lot of a lot of times those prop bets don't don't materialize until about a week before the season is about ready to start. So it, it's like the Super Bowl; they don't put up their prop bets until you know some of them are put up until about two or three days before the the big game. The mm-hmm. uh, so you know, I guess I'll, I'll let you know when those things happen, and we can do All that. Right. But uh, just real quickly, if anybody's betting preseason games, uh, bet don't. It, it's really a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah, if you can find a coach, uh, a coach that wants to win and get his team some confidence, that's usually the that's usually the key. Seattle always used to do that, but now that they have hit the big time, they're pretty much playing it like any other team does. They just kind of you know they're just out there. Basically, it's a practice game. So, you know, it used to be reliable to bet on the the, uh, the Seahawks because, you know, Pete wanted to, uh, you know, get his team some confidence. Now, you know, it's just let's go out there and, and get through it without any injuries. All right. Sounds That's good. all I'm going to say on that. All right. We'll meet you, meet you up in a two or three weeks. We'll see when those prop bets come out, and then uh, you can look forward to hearing that beautiful – Velvety voice of Chuck Podeski throughout the season as he gets us uh, gets us ready ATS style. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks, Nick. Good to talk yep. to you guys. Yep. Take care, bud.
All right. Uh, we have uh, DFW's own auctioneer. Like I said, I just have this inherent need to give people nicknames. Uh, so that's that's why we had Bill Layton come on. Uh, Bill, are you there? I am. Hi. How you doing? Is it? Uh, and I want to make sure I'm saying your last name right, Bill. Is it Layton or Latin? It's Latin, like Latin America. All right. Okay. Sorry about that, Bill. That's okay. Latin. That's easy. Easy for me to remember. So um, sometimes things are not always what they appear. And I maybe I just trying too hard there, but I am. Thank you for joining us. Uh, like I said, Bill is kind of the uh, the auction the auction expert here on staff at DFW. So we asked him to uh, to stop by and and help us out. Uh, maybe get you guys prepared for your auction drafts. So. Um, is there, Chuck? Is there? Any, excuse me, Bill. Is there any? Um, is there any certain strategies that you you know you take in when you, when you're going into an auction? Um, there are a couple of main premises that are extremely important. I think that much like going into any draft, you want to have somewhat of a game plan, and you also have to be able to be flexible in that game plan. So I typically start out with a budget. Um, typically by position. So depending on what your auction budget is, you decide, do I want a uh, studly wide receiver core? Uh, do I want uh, strong running backs? And you can kind of um, get a feel for what percentage of your budget is going to go to each position. Now, that being said, there there's going to be a guy that you really want you may overpay a bit for. There's also going to be a couple of values that you pick up and make. Uh, create some extra auction uh, space for other positions. But you want to have kind of an idea of how you want to frame up your team going in. That's probably the most important thing. And the other is not to force the issue. Um, as players get thrown out there, um, sometimes the, the bidding, it's, it's, uh, it's a rush. It's one of the reasons I love it. Um, but you can get caught up in a bidding war, and next thing you know, you've overpaid for a player by 15 20%. And that can impact your team negatively. So uh, be patient and uh, have a plan going in, but also be flexible. Um, what what do you see in with the uh, rookies? I mean, obviously it, it's going to vary player to player, but uh, any any surprises this year so far with what people are? Well, I think that this is going to be um, – this is going to be a, a, a bit of a letdown year for rookies. Uh, we've been spoiled the last two years, and we've had some dynamic rookies, and uh, the rookie frenzy has been crazy. Um, <clears throat> this year, I think we come back down to earth a little bit. Even the guys that we were expecting big things from, uh, Kevin White is hurt. Uh, Doriel Green Beckham hasn't really made an impact. Uh, you know, Devontae Parker still kind of dinged up. Um, Gurley's not going to be starting right away. Uh, Melvin Gordon's disappointed so far. Um, I just think that um, that the rookie hype that has been uh, generated the last couple of years, um, I think that people will tend to overpay for rookies this year. Um, there are some good quality rookies out there, and I think there's some guys that um, long-term are going to be great dynasty players. But I think that as a rule of thumb that, that people are, are tending to overpay a bit right now. Okay. Uh, Nick, any questions there for Bill? Uh, yeah, like what percentage uh, of your cap would you be willing to pay for like the top quarterback, like an Andrew Luck, Andrew Rogers, or the top running back? 
Well, that's a great question. And I will tell you that most of my uh, salary leaks, we, we do it uh, roughly on a $75 million uh, contract. So we have $75 million worth of contracts. Keep in mind that I do do IDP, so you have IDP uh, sprinkled in there. And out of $75 million, I would say I'd be willing to pay as high as maybe 10% of my total budget, so maybe $7.5 million. Um, most people, um, I believe he's going for around 12 to 15% of most budgets. So to me, I'm a little more, um, a little more value conscious than that. I do see Andrew Luck's value and I do think he's probably the most valuable piece in dynasty right now. However, much like I like Alexis, I'm just not going to go buy one. <laughs> uh, that was interesting standpoint there I, I can certainly appreciate that uh uh next off what about uh what about running backs and we know we know that uh that window but it's certainly got to be a trickier game there considering auction dynasty sure right well i'll tell you that the recent the recent um the recent um auctions that i've been in i've kind of adapted a modified zero rb um strategy and i'm winning i'm warming up to that strategy more and more as time progresses, as I've seen running backs um, come and go uh, quite frequently. And I think that, um, to be honest with you, one of my biggest um, lessons I learned, if you will, is overpaying for Zach Stacy last year. And um, <laughs> it, it hit me like a ton of bricks right across the face. And it, I realized that just because a running back has one year of production doesn't mean he's going to be a stud long-term. And the, the, the landscape of running backs changes so much from year to year. Um, look at, I mean, look at St. Louis, look what they've done. They, they went from Zach Stacy, who was doing a decent job. Uh, then they get Trey Mason, who was doing a little bit better job. And then they draft a guy who, you know, obviously could be the next Adrian Peterson, or he could be an injury risk that just keeps getting hurt. We don't know. But the bottom line is, um, it, it's really not smart to overpay for running backs. Your, your best bet is to um, sprinkle in, you know, some vets and some people that are what I, what I call value picks. Um, you know, I think guys like Lamar Miller right now, um, even though he's getting a little bit of hype, um, he, he's still a great value. You know, he's a top 12 back and he's, you know, he's reasonably priced. Uh, I'm not going to pay the top dollar for, you know, for the Jamal Charles's, um, I just, I just don't think it makes sense given the, given, you know, what can happen to a running back. Um, you know, they're important pieces, but I'd rather develop them in my drafts. Mm-hmm. Very good point there. What, um, I, I, geez, I don't really mean to curse, curse this guy, especially since <laughs> I own him. And, and I, and I feel you with Zach Stacy. I lost, I lost a few, uh, teeth from a brick to the face last year too over him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Jeremy Hill. I mean, he he's he sounds like you know when he, I keep thinking about that because I feel like he's he's a really dynasty gem. I've seen him getting flipped around for a whole lot in and trades sure. in, in dynasty leagues that I'm in, and and, and I'm I'm holding on to him, you know. But I also re- recognize this might be the time to trade high on him. I mean, we what do you think about him and maybe where is his value going? Is he the next Zach Stacy? By the way, I'm well, not giving I, up on Zach Stacy either. <laughs> well, I, I would tell you that uh, Jeremy Hill in that, 
in that system, I believe, is going to be productive. I think that there are a few teams, you know, in the NFL that can have some success with two backs. And I believe that, you know, sadly, they're going to be splitting the productivity. Um, they're both Jeremy Hill. Jeremy Hill is a borderline RB1, RB2. And uh, Giovanni is a RB2, you know, and it's going to have some RB3 weeks. Now, that being said, if either of them gets hurt, the other one, to me, goes to a top five, top six status. Um, but given their offense and how they run it, I believe that they're both going to be top 20 backs. It's just a matter of figuring out, you know, what is your uh, willingness, what, what kind of value do you place on that, and, and what are you willing to pay? So that's the beauty of, of auction leagues where you get to decide how much is that worth. Uh, is, that, is that, you know, top 20 RB worth X amount of dollars? Um, you decide, you know, how it fits into your budget. I do like Hill. I think he's a, an excellent <clears throat> running back. Um, I think he has all the tools. If Giovanni wasn't there, I actually think he could be a monster. Um, but Giovanni, you know, is, is, a, is a great running back as well. He's got some special skills that, you know, are just electric. So I'm, I'm a Hill fan, um, given the right price. Um, I would not overpay for him. That being said, if you have somebody that's in love with Jeremy Hill, and I will say this, I can't say this enough, um, don't be married to a player. Um, if, if someone's going to give you top dollar plus for any player on your roster, um, you have to take it. You know, if, if somebody offers you uh, Lamar Miller, a first-round pick, and, and a third-round pick, um, and, and maybe, you know, a, a tight end two, for Jeremy Hill, I'd strongly consider it. You know, it's it's a situation where Miller very well could outproduce him, and you're going to get the picks, and you're going to get the you know the extra player in the deal. So you have to kind of always weigh the pros and cons with you know where someone fits into your scheme and, and kind of the dynamics of what your league is like. Uh, Nick, any any other questions there for Bill? Well, the perception is that auction leagues are a little bit more hardcore than, say, a standard uh, snake draft league. So with that in mind, do you think it's uh, tougher to find value in, like, the steals uh, in an auction than it would be in a standard draft? I think that that is an accurate statement. I think that, and this may sound a little pretentious, but I think that the average guy that's in auctions that has been doing it for a while is a little more savvy than the average snake draft guy. And I say that because I've seen both sides of it. Um, now, that being said, people that are new to auctions uh, make a lot of rookie mistakes. But people that have been doing auctions for a while, they tend to be very savvy and uh, kind of know their stuff. Um, really, the way to build value to me in, in uh, auction drafts is through, um, through the rookie draft. Um, as an example, um, almost in every one of my uh, drafts, I, I picked up, for minimum contract, I picked up, uh, you know, um, guys like, like Preston, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Preston Smith, uh, Quan, uh, just was named a starting linebacker, and I got him for a minimum contract. Those guys, you know, you sign them to two- or three-year contracts, and they become starters, and you own them for the minimum amount. Then all of a sudden, they're, they're pieces, they're assets. You can either keep them and bring value to your team, or you can trade them for more productive players um, you know, and, and make them fit into your roster. So you really have to, you know, guys like Malcolm Brown, I love a lot. And he's sitting on a bunch of my taxi squads. Um, he's, yeah, he's buried. Um, I think he's a, a guy that given an opportunity could be a good running back, you know, so you, you, you hide him, you stash him, and uh, you hope to build your, your rosters in that regard. So 
it's truly um, auctions are truly a dynasty um, a dynasty um, example as far as having to build through the draft, having to really be savvy about your um, your decision making, um, you know how you develop your team. Also, you know, right now I'm I'm struggling with in in three of my leagues um, figuring out whether or not to trade Julio Jones. You know, Julio Jones is a guy that you know his value is probably never going to be higher than it is now. And I'm thinking mid-season it'll probably be even higher. Um, you know, when, at what point do you trade a stud to get the maximum value? I, I uh, made the mistake of not uh, taking up a couple of offers for Calvin Johnson uh, about a year and a half ago, and I'm kind of kicking myself because looking back they were great offers and I could have flipped them. And who knows what Calvin's future is like over the next two or three years. He's been dinged up a little bit. They've got more tools there. They've got you know, Golden Tate. <clears throat> They've got Ebron. They've got an electric guy who, who I love in Abdullah. Um, so, you know, what, what's Calvin's numbers going to look like and what, what am I going to be able to get for him in the next year or two? So those decisions, that's probably the hardest part of Dynasty is figuring out when do I sell my studs, how much am I willing to take for them, and, uh, you know, kind of turning your team over, so to speak, every now and again. Um, that's, that's kind of the difficulty that I have. Um, one of the, uh, one of the people that I, uh, trust out there and, uh, fantasy and in sports land is, uh, Eric Casillas. He's got a, he's got a morning radio show. And one of his favorite things, he, the only way he does draft is, uh, auction blind bidding. Uh, I was just wondering if you were familiar with that or have ever done that. And, and I guess it's basically, if you don't know what I'm talking about, people out there listening, it's yeah. basically what it sounds like. You put in a bid, everybody puts in their bid for a player, and then whoever has the highest bid is granted that player. So there's no outbidding each other, it's just a blind bid. What, what do you think about that? I think it's great. There's a couple of leagues that I'm in that do that for the waiver wire, um, where we, you yeah. know, during in season, you know, we put in blind bids. So if, you know, CJ Anderson, for example, this last year uh, went for really, really high amounts in the in the first few weeks of the of the year. Um, I think it's a great concept. As a startup, um, I think it's, I think it has merit, but I will say that um, there is a lot of fun and and excitement in the actual bidding process and bidding someone up, and you know that's a whole other topic. But you know, mm-hmm. kind of police police bidding, you know, as I call it, um, and I do a lot of that. You know, if I look at a guy and I think that uh, he's going for well under what he should be going, I'll bid him up. And uh, sometimes you get caught, and uh, but sometimes you know you you set more of a fair market price for the guy. So. To me, the, those dynamics of the startup—that's part of the fun. Um, so I guess it matter. It, it depends on if you enjoy that or not. So for me, that—that's an important mm-hmm. piece of of, a, of an auction startup is that that ability to bid someone up and and uh, kind of set the price, if you will. Um, so I, you know, I could see merit. I could see merit for both both takes. Okay, uh, Nick. Any more questions there? So you mentioned uh, you don't like to overpay for the top quarterbacks or running backs. Are there any positions where you are willing to pay top dollar to get one of the top one or two players? Wide receiver. Without a doubt, wide receiver. You you, you look at all of the industry experts um, across the board, and, and I've, <clears throat> I've been a patron of pretty much every website, and I gravitated toward DFW because I like the overall uh, corner to corner, top to bottom content, but there's a lot of credible people out there, whether it be Twitter or or on websites, and pretty much it's a standard, accepted fact that that top wide receivers are anchors for dynasty teams. 
um, guys like um, maybe not so much now, but but uh, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, uh, AJ Green, uh, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, um, on and on. You know this new regime of of Beckham and Evans. Um, you know I, I believe Jordan Matthews is going to be one of those guys that you know after this year you're not going to get any bargains on Jordan Matthews anymore. Um, to me, um, because of the longevity at the position and because it's a pass happy league. By all means, pay top dollar for the top guys because they will be anchors uh, for your team, and it's a set it and forget it mode. You know, you never have to worry about am I going to start, you know, Evans or am I going to start, you know, some wide receiver three. It's, Evans is going to start every week, and uh, you know, set it and forget it. So, wide receiver by to me is the one position that that uh, I, I I put a lot of uh, my my auction dollars towards wide receivers. And you forgot DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, who I who Hopkins. I who I do not own at all. I cannot believe it. I'm sure Nick can't believe that either, because I am the president of his fan club. But though I think him and Alshon Jeffrey, we talked about this last week when we talked about ADP rises and fallers. I I just don't know if there's two better dynasty investments right now. Think of the the experience that they have, you know, just enough experience, obviously, to be dangerous. And I think they both have the chance to be very dominant players for the next three or four years. So, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the top names, but I think these guys are maybe the second tier that next year, like you said with Jordan Matthews next year, people are just going to be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I passed on Hopkins when I could have drafted him, you know, in the third round. And, and now look at him. Do you you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, and you know, we can potentially talk about this later, but if you look at, the construction of my uh, DFW team, um, you know, it's that exact philosophy. It's, it's, you know, not a lot of the top, top guys, but it's three or four of the, of the, the next tier of guys that I think are, are poised to explode. And that's, you know, that's what, how I like to build. I like to build with those guys that, you know, they're deemed as low wide receiver ones, but you know that they're right there. Um, to me, mm-hmm. that's where the value, because you can get three of those guys for the same price as two, um, you know, so-called, you know, top-notch guys in an auction format. You know, instead of bidding $8 million and $8 million, I can bid $5 million, $5.5 million, and $5.85 million and get three guys that I think are going to be, you know, rock solid. So that's kind of how I like to approach, you know, the, the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree there. And um, um, sorry, I forgot my thought here. Oh. Uh, when you, I guess it, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but okay. we'll get to that here. Since you swung at that direction, we we wanted to grade uh, Bill's DFW 16 team league. Uh, this is an IDP league that me, Bill, and Nick, and uh, some other some other friends and DFW writers of the the the, po- the site and podcast are in. Um, we've graded. Uh, a few different uh, teams here on the air, and uh, now we're gonna we're gonna grade Bills. So it's this IDP league, sixteen teams, uh, forty round draft. Um, that was a lot of fun, especially those last ten rounds were very interesting to see how people. Play. It was. Nick's gonna do your Nick's gonna do your offense, and like you said, like you said, I'm gonna let Nick take it from here. But look at just thinking, you're building with the wider series. You have Hopkins, Allen Robinson. And Randall Cobb, who three three guys that are going, you know, a little past the past the top that you gotta love, and then 
Dorsett and Devontae Parker coming up the coming up the pipeline. So, but I'll let Nick take the offense. But I'm just seeing your philosophy unfold here as I'm looking at your team. So, Nick's going to do offense first, and I will uh, take the defense. So, Nick, what do you got for us? Great. All right, uh, quarterback, you got Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers. And these, uh, first off, this is a really tough team for me to grade, uh, and it all starts at quarterback. You know, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. If he was 33 like Pete Rivers, you know, you'd get an A at quarterback. But at 38 years old, Brady's yards have been dropping each of the last three years. Uh, in best ball format, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Rivers ended up uh, starting more often than Tom Brady for you, actually. Uh, Rivers is perennially undervalued. He's got over 4,000 yards in four of the last five years and over 30 touchdowns each of the last two years. So I'll definitely give you a B-plus quarterback. Uh, running back, you've got uh, Amir Abdullah, Kadeem Carey, Chris Ivory, and Lorenzo Taliaferro. Uh, you know, thank goodness for you that Abdullah is rising up the depth charts pretty quick there in Detroit because other than him, ugh, I mean, uh, Carey and Taliaferro are both second-year backs who are drafted to fit them. The teams are currently running and whose teams are drafted uh, running backs this year to compete for that number two spot there. Um, you know, both of them could end up being virtually useless. You know, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll say Abdullah is a low-end uh, RB1, but, you know, then that leaves Chris Ivory as your uh, running back number two. He's never had 900-yard season, even though he's 27. He's probably the best jet running back to own, but isn't that like taking the prettiest cousin to the prom? So, uh, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> oh, Wow. I just, I just don't see a championship for you this year, and I think the running back position is the reason why. So I'm going to have to give you a D there. But like Josh mentioned, you've got a great receiving core. Randall Cobb, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Parker, Allen Robinson, Philip Dorsett, Stedman Bailey, and Taylor Gabriel. You know, I would like this group in a 12-team league. So in a 16-team league, yeah, it's definitely an A. Yeah, Cobb and Hopkins should be great for years. You couldn't ask for better wide receiver three and four than Parker and Robinson. And then you got another first-round rookie in Dorsett at wide receiver five. Yeah, you talked earlier, popular strategies to build a team around young wide receivers. You did a great job of that. Uh, and then we'll go to tight end. You have Zach Ertz, Ladarius Green, and Chase Ford. Uh, I just want to compare two players really quick. Player A last year had 67 catches, five touchdowns, and 12.9 yards per catch. Player B had 58 catches, three touchdowns, 12.1 yards per catch. Both players are going into year three, so they sound like pretty even players, right? Player B is Zach Ertz, your guy, while player A is Travis Kelsey, who's widely considered to be the number three tight end in dynasty formats. And plus, you have that huge bundle of upside that is Ladarius Green. Yeah, I feel like it's tight end, and A is only possible if you have Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham, but I definitely think you got a B-plus there. Uh, and then I get to... To grade your kickers here, you got Josh Brown, Blair Walsh, and Greg Zerloin. Um, personally, I wouldn't care if you had Jan Stenerud, Mark Mosley, and Adam Vinatieri to have three kickers and only four running backs. I, I just don't understand that at all. Um, <laughs> overall, I, I kept wavering between a B minus and a C plus, but I had to go C plus. Again, you only have the four running backs. Uh, you got the good foundation of young receivers and tight ends. Sets you up nice for the future. But while I like your two quarterbacks, it doesn't seem like they really fit your roster. By the time you're going to be ready to contend and you have that running back position more solidified, uh, Brady's probably going to be retired and Rivers will be on the downslope of his career. So I had to go with the C-plus for offense side. Josh? Uh, well, I guess we'll give Bill a chance to defend himself. But I And I, and I kind of understand you know, where you're coming from now that we've talked to you more about uh, your strategies here, Bill. But, yeah, the, the four running back thing, I just – Kind of maybe caught, I think, a lot of people by surprise. But uh, any, well, any I'll, tell, I'll tell you, yeah, absolutely. I will tell you that um, 
the grade that he gave me is the exact grade I would give my offense. Um, I, and this is, there's, there's a two or three different schools of thought. There's win now, there's build for long-term, and there's kind of the in-between where I'm going to sprinkle in this, that, and the other. And, and for me, um, I, I look more at winning long-term. Um, I would agree that Brady's at the tail end, but I think Rivers uh, has a few good years left in him, and I do think he's an undervalued quarterback, and I feel really good about him as a quarterback one. Um, running backs, uh, to be honest with you, I, I fully intend to build via the waiver wire and the draft next year. So I'm confident that I can pick up one or two pieces to add to Abdullah so that by next year that, that uh, D goes to maybe a C-plus or a B-minus. Um, and then wide receivers, as, as we've discussed, is, is uh, top-notch. Um, the tight end situation, um, like you said, anyone not named Gronk and maybe Jimmy Graham, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of uh, spitting in the wind, so to speak. I think that uh, two young upside guys in uh, Ertz and Ladarius Green, I, I feel good there. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. C-plus, I think, is, is uh, about accurate. Um, and, and the three-kicker thing, um, I will agree that in, in hindsight, I, I should have stashed away a running back, and I certainly could uh, I certainly could at this point drop one and pick up a Malcolm Brown or somebody that is sitting there that's a rookie that, that's uh, you know, got potential long-term. My thinking, and we've already seen this this year, is in a 16-team league um, and playing best ball, um, kickers do score a lot of points. And so if, if you do the math involved and you look at how much points they're going to produce, um, on a week where two of your guys don't score very much or maybe one's on a bye and one scores very little, you get that much more opportunity to put points on your bottom line in a best ball format. So I'm sure that that can be argued as flawed thinking. Um, but that's kind of the way I looked at it. I, I kind of looked at it as, hey, in a best ball format, that's gonna, that's gonna, I'm gonna score more at that position than my opponent because of having three people. So um, I agree wholeheartedly with that grade. I think it's fair. Um, I think every comment is, is very insightful. Um, and actually, I feel good about the positive comments about my wide receiver core because that's really, um, it's no secret when you look at my draft. That's that's the direction I was going. Yeah, and. It- it should be noted, noted that when you, I think you had the second kicker before a lot of people had one, and that that started this weird kicker run in the draft. Like I was, you know, I didn't think anybody was going to draft a second one, or maybe one or two people were. So I was like, well, geez, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to draft one until the season starts if there's going to be kickers available. But that's not the case as you took your second one. Now everybody started scrambling to take you know, two, and then all of a sudden there was only like four kickers left. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just didn't know how the whole kicker thing was going to, uh, to go in, uh, in best ball format. And I, uh, I hate and I would say this, if you compare, <laughs> if, if you let, let me just say this too, if you compare where I took the third kicker and you look at in season when someone ha- only has one kicker and they're wanting to trade for a kicker, I guarantee you whatever player I get back, doesn't matter if it's a safety um, tight end three, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to get better draft position value for that player in return than that third kicker. So that's a little bit of a wait and see approach. And, and I could be wrong on that, but I'm confident that at some point someone's going to, they'll be four and two and they'll be wanting to win their league and they'll look at next week and they'll have a kicker on a buy and no kicker. And they're going to, they're going to throw a trade offer. They're going to throw, you know, a, a tight end three 
that's that's solid with maybe some upside for a kicker, and I'll take that all day. So um, I, I look at it as an asset. I think that, uh, you know, again, we could debate. If we were in debate class, we could debate it either way, probably 60-40 more along the lines of not drafting a third kicker. But I certainly think that I have some articulate um, things that I've said that, that point to some of the value in, in uh, carrying that. And this is a, a startup draft that was done uh, during the month of May and June. So, you know, maybe not all the kickers were were locked in. You know, Sean Sweezen's out for the year in Pittsburgh, and uh, we talked about kickers too long. I hate that when we get into it. We start, really start talking about them, and it just goes on and on. And I'm just like, why are we talking about kickers? Well, the, the best <laughs> alternative to that is not have them in your league, to be honest with you. That's the, yeah. that's the best yeah. alternative is just looking but back, that's a whole I different discussion. Yeah. Looking back, I kind of wish we would have done that. I, I'm in a one league that has no kickers, and I love it. Uh, so it's just such a hassle when they're on a bye. Um, but anyway, I agree. Um, I got the defense. Um, I really like this defense as a whole. I think you have tremendous upside. Um, there's one player that I absolutely hate, but uh, that's just a personal matter that I will get over, I guess. Um, defensive tackle. You got Sharif Floyd, who I I thought I was going to get in this league, and, and you, you sniped him for me. I I love his upside. You know, he I think where the Vikings took him uh, in the draft, I think a lot of people expected too much of him too early, but he's molded into a very solid player, and I think he's only getting better. Uh, Rashid Hagman could essentially be in the position that Floyd was last off season right now. Um, he he's a guy that needs to maybe control his emotions. Uh, but I think if that energy is harnessed in the in a in a better way, and I think it can be under Dan Quinn, I think you're looking at a, a potential a potential stud there up the middle. And uh, Jordan Hill, uh, another second year player who actually outperformed Hagman last year up in Seattle. Uh, I look at the age and uh, just maybe the lack of IDP stats for the starters in Seattle, and I think Hill is a phenomenal pick. I didn't know a lot about him before I wrote that article about this division. And I, and I certainly think that take a lot more of that pick now that I've done some research on Hill. And he's kind of a, kind of a guy that uh, you should look at in sack heavy leagues if you have a defensive tackle. So I'm uh, moving to the defensive line. Vic Beasley has finally has that be an absolute beast. I don't know if he's the next Robert Quinn, Robert Mathis, but I think he's certainly a, a, a threat to get double digit sacks. Um, Cameron Hayward is a guy that I kind of see slipping here and there, and I don't really understand why. He's 26 years old. He certainly has some great numbers, and and I like him a whole hell of a lot. Uh, Daniel Hunter in Minnesota, kind of a nice future piece there for you. You can afford to sit on him for a couple years and let him develop because I think it's going to take him. And then, of course, Sheldon Richardson, who's got the – Got the suspension, but I think Hayward and Beasley are going to fill in just fine as you wait for uh, Richardson to come back. Uh, oh, and then you mix in Olivier Vernon, who is uh, another young guy that I think a lot of people are getting very excited about. I mentioned him last week. Uh, I think the addition of Sue up the middle is certainly going to mean uh, good things in, for Vernon, who already had a, a hell of a year last year. So I'm going to give your defensive line uh, an A- because I just think where you know where you can maybe see some holes you have somebody that's going to fill in like if Hagman struggles I think Hill's going to pick him up uh you're going to miss 
Richardson for a few for a few weeks, but uh, you have Vernon and Hayward. Oh, and Beasley, who's you know potentially a, a sack monster. So I, I like the defensive line a lot, and this is a, a that's positions. Those positions are really easy to build around too. So you could you know potentially add some studs there if you know if you have a rash of injuries every every off season. Uh, linebackers, I really like. Uh, I feel like you kind of had a. You were in my head with these linebackers because every one of these guys I, I love. Uh, Quan Alexander, um, like you mentioned, is basically getting the job there in Tampa now. Uh, Nigel Bradham in Buffalo, a uh, very underrated player, but a very a very solid player. And it's one of those things, you know, if he played for the Cowboys or the Giants, you know, a team that was on on TV every week, a lot of people would know about him. Uh, Preston Brown uh, in Buffalo, another Buffalo guy. Got to, you got the you got the Buffalo thing squared away there, and I like both of those guys, both young, hungry players. Uh, Christian Jones in Chicago, super fast guy off the edge, not a not a necessarily a sack threat, but a guy that's going to do a lot of damage there in that defense. Preston Smith in Washington, little I, I own him in a couple of leagues too, and a little little upset by the signing of Junior Gallette, but I'll get over it because I know he's just there a year and going to give Smith time to develop and I think he's going to be uh, potentially a stud especially with Kerrigan and Robinson in that same linebacking core I think they can afford to take Smith along slowly and when he's ready he's going to be ready to rock um, and then another another burner uh, from Florida State uh, Telvin Smith for the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, you know him and Jones are guys that really dropped in the draft as rookies for whatever reason and they they look to be uh not you know they're not top twenty linebackers right now, but I don't think anybody would be surprised uh, if they are top twenty linebackers uh, next year. And I'm I'm gonna give this core an A minus as well. It's it's very solid, but you don't have that one big wow factor. You know, there's not Levante David or Luke Kegley, which is you know I mean whatever that's. It's, but you potentially have that next year too, so that's why it's still in the A's. Um, looking towards the secondary. Um, again, another player that I really wanted, Byron Jones, that you took from me. Um, I, he's not listed as a starter right now, but he's easily going to see a lot of a lot of action as a rookie there. And cornerback is a kind of a funky position, so you got another young player there, and uh, Demarius Randall, and then you have uh, the guy that you could probably start every week, um, you know, and maybe mix and match here and there, and uh, Xavier Rhodes. You know, he appears to be kind of of the shutdown variety, and he might his value might be kind of going away. Again, cornerback is a weird position. Uh, with, but, you know, with other talent in that secondary, he's certainly going to be uh, targeted. So I like those guys. Um, George Aloka in Cincinnati at the, at the – I'm not sure I'm saying that last name right, but uh, at the safety position. Uh, not crazy about him. Certainly a guy that I don't know a whole a whole lot about, but he does – he did have a decent year last year. Tyrone Matthew is the guy that I just cannot stand. Um, and I think he he should get squeezed. He probably won't. You know, all signs are he's actually healthy, but he seems to always have some weird nagging injuries. He's, there's always some reason he's not in the lineup, and I just I just don't understand it. Uh, Bradley Rowley's making the, the move to uh, safety there in Denver, and I really like that move. I think he's a talented kid, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean uh, big things for his IDP numbers. Um, and then another guy, not uh, kind of an under-the-radar guy, Duke Williams. Um, I 
thought he was hurt. There's no, there's no uh, P or or uh, O by his name right now, but uh, certainly a, a nice upside piece there. So I'm going to give your secondary um, a solid B, um, and it's potentially going to be a, a, an A, I think, next off season. Uh, but uh, not like again, not a big wow factor there. So I guess, I guess as a whole, you get kind of like a B plus plus since we mixed in two A minuses there and, and a B. So, uh, yeah, a, a very solid defense, and that's something you want, IDP. And I think what makes it even more solid is not only do you have guys that are going to help you this year, you're going to have guys that are going to help you long-term and a whole lot of them there. So I think you did a good job there drafting the defensive side of the ball. Thanks. Well, if I could just – the only thing I would touch on is is the Tyron Matthew. And, and I will tell you um, – I, you know, I'm a Cardinals fan, but I am not a homer picker. So just, just so you guys know, um, the, the, the main consideration in picking him was the format. Um, I don't think that I would, I don't really know that I would roster him on any of my other leagues unless the price was just filthy cheap. Um, but in a best ball format, this kid has a nose for the ball. Um, whether you like him or not, whether you think he's a, a top 12 safety um, he's going to have three or four weeks during the year where he's going to intercept one or two balls. Uh, he's going to force a fumble or two. He's potentially going to take one back to the house. The kid is electric, and he has um, he has a little bit of a hot cold feature to him where you know he's he's on he's off. But by all accounts, you know I watch their camp very closely. He's having a great camp. Uh, Coach Arian says that he makes an INT in every single practice. And, uh, I mean, in the preseason game, he had a nice interception. So do I think he's a stud or the next the next uh, Harrison Smith or, or any studly safety? No, I do not think he's the next studly safety. Do I think he's going to contribute nicely in a best ball format? Absolutely. I think that he's going to have some weeks where, you know, he's going to score 13, 15, 17 points and, and open some eyes, but it's only going to be three or four weeks. So in the grand scheme of things, in a best ball format – I like to sprinkle in some of those high upside guys. Um, and as you can see, both of both of you, as you graded my teams, you can see I'm not a guy necessarily to reach for the stud. I'm not a guy that's going to reach for Kukli or Levante David. As much as I'm an IDP guy, as much as I love those guys, I don't own them on any teams. Um, I don't own Watt on any of my teams. Um, give me depth. Give me consistency. Um, that's just, you know, my philosophy. And, and uh, you know, we could debate – one way or the other. The only way that I would get those guys is if I draft them. You know, I'm hoping um, Daniel Hunter is one of those guys that I believe could be the next, maybe not Watt, because I think Watt's on a planet all of his own, but he could be, you know, that next tier. He could be a top five defensive end in my book with his skill set, his athleticism. I mean, the guy runs like a, like a wide receiver. He's, he's built like a Mack truck. Um, He's raw for sure. But, um, you know, I look at guys like that, you know, um, Quan, you know, can, can he be Levante David Light, Levante David, you know, Jr.? You know, maybe, you know, can he put up, you know, 70%? I'll take 70% when I draft them near the end of a draft. So that, that's how I like to build my team. I like to try to get depth. And then hopefully some of the, you know, the, the, the stars that I've, you know, um, tagged as emerging stars, hopefully they pan out and they become the next Luke Kukli. I mean, let's face it, very, very seldom do. I mean, very seldom do we actually find the next Beckham. You know, there are very few people that were on the Beckham bandwagon and said, no, I'm drafting this guy. He's going to be the next big thing. 
Um, most of us were surprised. Most of us, you know, he came out of left field. So those guys are hard to find. But I, for me, give me value, value, value. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Where you don't have Levante David or Keekley right now, you potentially have the next one, and that, and that's a nice a nice thing to 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 have kind of in in the pipeline there. Most of. I'm curious both of your thoughts, and we touched on it briefly, but I'm curious what you guys think about Abdullah because he was my one guy when I drafted that I was actually salivating about, and I, I've I've looked at his uh, skill set, watched a lot of his college film, and now obviously he's getting a lot of hype. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, what his maybe his floor and his ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, he's one of those guys that I really like. Um, but I just was not in position to get him in a rookie draft, and I kind of wish I would have had him now. Um, but uh, I, I think he's potentially a very, a very solid player. For some reason, it seems like, besides obviously Barry Sanders, it seems like little running backs in Detroit don't last. And I don't know what that, what that is, or if it's the, the playing surface. But something always happens, and maybe that's just because this team is so bad for so long, and then I certainly think they're on the upswing, but I just, it seems like running backs in Detroit don't last for a long time there, especially the older guys, so I have con- some, some concerns there, but I do really like him. What do you think? Uh, I think he's got a pretty high floor. I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he's going to beat out Theo Riddick for the third down back at the very least, if not uh, overtake Joyce Bell for the RB1 slot there in Detroit. But again, you mentioned his size, only five foot nine. That does concern me a little bit. So he is a little bit risky, but as long as he stays healthy, I think he's got a great floor. Yeah, I think his floor is RB high RB3. I think his ceiling is maybe very low RB1 or very high RB2. And I think relative to where he was taken in the draft, I think that that's, that's pretty good value. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good good insight there in auction, and uh, thanks for letting us uh, grade your team. And that was uh, certainly a, good to hear your thoughts and kind of uh, why – why you did that there too. So uh, again, that's a DFW 16 team best ball 40 round IDP league. Um, quite the uh, quite the introduction to that league. But anyway, uh, again, thanks for joining us, Bill, and hopefully we can have you come back and see. It's my pleasure. And parting words: if you haven't done an auction draft, take the plunge. It's the, it's the best thing, and it's the most fun uh, format you'll you'll ever take part in. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, Bill. Okay, Dick. Well, we have some dynasty trade analysis to get to here. As um, first one, this is a trade that happened in one of uh, our offensive-only league. As somebody flipped uh, Travis Kelsey for Jarvis Landry. Um, this was uh, our man Mike, my graphic, and uh, Jim Day making this trade, uh, the fantasy Taz. And I know, just for explanation. Jim gave up Kelsey, but also had Gronk, and Mike uh, had a, a, a whole slew of young receivers, and he was the one that gave up Landry. So that makes makes a little more sense when uh, you, you think about it. But I think it's a pretty fair trade in general, too. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think it's a very even trade. Uh, you know, the safer side is the side that picked up Jarvis Landry. I think he's got a great floor there in Miami. But, you know, Travis Kelsey, he's only got the one year of production in Kansas City, but he's widely regarded as the number three tight end in Dynasty. So, yeah, I think it's fair on both sides. Okay. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a thing, especially, I mean, obviously we're, we kind of always talk PPR, but both these guys are very serviceful PPR players, and I think, the future in Miami, regardless of what happens at the running back position, I think the future in Miami is Landry and probably Parker. I don't know how long Stilts is going to be there, but uh, and Landry is just a an, an absolute beast in the slot and just a, a great a great guy that they can depend on in a short game. So he's going to see targets, and that's going to help PPR wise. Kelsey, I think, is certainly a, you know, he's got captain. Both these guys have kind of captain checkdowns as quarterbacks. So they're certainly going to see a lot of targets, and I think Kelsey's going to going to be a, a a nice piece for this team in the red zone because you know it's the Kansas City Chiefs or so uh, passing game. So uh, we know how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a pretty fair trade. It's a definite need on both sides. Um, so yeah, pretty fair trade. Uh, Mark Ingram in a 2016 fourth round pick for Lamar Miller in the 2016 third-round pick. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, I, I personally am a little bit higher on Lamar Miller than most, so I obviously love the side that picked up Lamar Miller and moved up one round in the draft. Uh, Mark Ingram, I just I don't trust him. They brought in C.J. Spiller, who I don't trust him either. But, you know, I think that could be a commit, more of a committee situation in New Orleans this year than it was last year when uh, Mark Ingram pretty much was the lead back and didn't even get 1,000 yards last year. So you look at Lamar Miller, almost 1,100 yards as the lead back last year. I, I like the side that picked up Miller. Yeah, I I agree with you there, and I think you know the the swapping of the fourth for the third was more of a reflection on they don't you know nobody knows where Miller is going to be next season. Um, but yeah, the Mark Ingram thing, I'm just not ready to board that train by any means. You know, he he's really had one solid year, and that wasn't necessarily a dominant year. We talked about. Abdullah just a few minutes ago with Bill in Detroit and how running backs don't seem to last for some reason there. It's also kind of just a revolving door in uh, New Orleans. You know, people will have good years. They'll have serviceable years, and it's not like it's a New England situation. But you just can't depend on that year to year, you know. I think Deuce McAllister was the last running back that they had that was solid for, you know, three straight years. And I just – I've seen some really good moments of Ingram, but I've also seen him just fall flat on his face when he gets to the line of scrimmage, and I just I just can't uh, can't get on that. And uh, Miller certainly has more upside this year, even though he's a little bit older. Um, so yeah, I I would think I've been stick with Nick there on the Miller and moving up and around there and that with that one there. Uh, Rashard. Burchard Perryman for Philip Dorsett in 2006. Pretty even. Uh, you know, Burchard Perryman probably is in line for more production this year, but long-term, I think Philip Dorsett's probably got the higher ceiling playing there in Indianapolis with Andrew Luck, especially once Andre Johnson is gone. I think he'll be in line for a nice bump in production there a year or two down the road. So I think it's pretty even. Yeah, I like it too. Um, obviously, like you said, you know, long-term, and this certainly depends on what the what the situation is for your team. You know, if you took Perryman um, and, uh, 
you know, Chip Perryman early, but you're realizing you're, maybe your team's not quite there and you can add a guy like Dorsett and, and a pick next year, I think it's a pretty pretty fair trade. And, you know, Perryman, we just don't know how that's going to uh, work out for them, but he certainly has a nice future there too with, with uh, Steve Smith out the door next year. So I think it's a pretty fair trade where, you know, you're getting that extra pick because Dorsett's not going to be a good asset this year. And, and that's kind of where it, kind of where it evens out. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, Doriel Green Beckham, and a 2016 first round pick for Odell Beckham. We used to play this game a few months ago about what would you trade for. We've Beckham's been in that game, and we've heard some crazy trades for Beckham. But I think this is certainly overpaying. What do you think, there, Nick? Oh, I'm going to go the other direction. I think this is a steal. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, I think he could end up being one of those guys who's a better real-life quarterback than he is a fantasy quarterback. He only only threw 14 touchdowns to uh, 12 interceptions last year, 14 touchdowns in 13 games. So, And then Doral Green Beckham, he hasn't played a down in the NFL yet. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. So that's basically like a a last uh, uh, this year's first and next year's first. So two firsts for Odell Beckham, who some say, I don't say he's the number one receiver in dynasty formats, but I have heard others say that. So yeah, I think this is a steal for Beckham. I I just don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah, I just, you just don't know what Beckham's going to be year two. And that's what, that's what the frustrating thing is when I think about trading for him. Um, and I, I don't think I would do that because it seems like you're going to have to give up this much to get it. I just don't necessarily agree with uh, uh, Mortgagey that much. Obviously, the person that gave up DGB and Bridgewater, I'm assuming they have a different quarterback option, uh, you know, maybe a better quarterback option and uh, other than Bridgewater. But it, it is really kind of like we said earlier with the darts, it's kind of a, a – just a – just you just don't know how he's going to develop. I I I feel like Bridgewater, whereas where you think he might be real life better real life than a fantasy quarterback, I think he will develop into, you know, a serviceable uh fan, dynasty quarterback in terms of like I think he could maybe you know finish you know like in the top you know eight eight nine or ten that that but. I, ever going to be a top five guy I think he's always going to be a tier two tier three guy depending on the year so I I just I don't know I I feel like it's overpaying because I feel like even though we don't know a whole lot about DGB he seems to be struggling a little bit right now I feel like you know maybe not this year but next year him and Beckham have very similar numbers and then you'd go back and look up this trade and see who that player got with that first round pick and you see Bridgewater, you know, finishing as a top nine, nine, eight quarterback. I, I don't know. I just, yeah, don't know. It's, <laughs> I'm not ready for the, for the Beckham train yet either. Apparently, uh, Randall Cobb, Kevin White, and the late third round pick for Julio Jones in a mid second. Bill talked about trading Julio earlier. Um, I, I, I like this trade a lot. You're giving up. Yeah, I, I guess I would I would like to I like the Randall Cobb Kevin White side. I know Kevin White's basically going to miss the whole year, um, but you're giving up a late third round pick, and you're um, excuse me you're get you're getting a late third. Why don't you go ahead and buy collect my thoughts here? <laughs> Sorry. 
So Randall Cobb, Kevin White in the late third for Leo Jones in the mid-second. Uh, you know, as long as you're in a rebuilding mode, I have no problem moving Julio Jones. But like you mentioned, you can't count on Kevin White to do anything this year. He might miss the entire season. So, you know, as long as you're rebuilding, I don't mind getting rid of Julio here. And I and I think, I think I would be okay with this trade if it was just Cobb for Julio. I really think that's a pretty fair trade. What do you think there, Nick? Um, I think Julio's got a little more value than Cobb. I just, you know, with Cobb's small frame, I have a little more concerns about him staying healthy. I know they've both had injury issues in the past, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I would rank Julio slightly above Cobb. So, yeah, you're getting basically, you know, like a wide receiver nine in Cobb. Julio is maybe a wide receiver three or four at this point. Um, and Kevin White was a, probably a first-round pick and a third-round pick. So, yeah, I, I guess it's a pretty fair trade. And I think if I had Julio and somebody offered me that, I think I would I think I would do that. What, do you think you'd do that, Nick? Yeah, I, I think so. And I also think now is probably a great time to try to buy low on Kevin White. His owners might be panicking a little bit. Yeah, I, I I agree there. I I I own him in a few leagues, so I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to sit on him because I, I they're both rebuilding leagues, so um, don't offer me anything for Kevin White. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a very very good point. Um, Bill, our content uh, man here at DFW and co-owner, told me last night via text that he just traded a. A second round pick next year for Josh Robinson. He said that we had uh, all the uh, all the free we had a free pass to make fun of him if you want. What, what do you think about that, trade, Nick? Josh Robinson for a 2016 second round pick. Well, I, I think Bill probably knows something that we don't know. So that would be my guess. Yeah, I generally think that Bill knows what he's doing. Um, and Robinson has looked very impressive, albeit preseason. Um, but I don't think anybody's all over Boom Harum or Vic Ballard right now either. Um, I own Robinson in the league. I got him. I got him in the fifth. So maybe you know maybe that can be construed as Bill overpaid for him. But again, it's if it's a player that you believe in, why not? And let's say you know Bill wins this league and he has the last pick of the second round. I mean what are you going to get with that pick and how far are they going to be away from developing into a guy that you can start every week when Robinson could be the RB one there next year on a very good team in Indianapolis. So I, I think it's, I think it's a pretty fair trade. Um, I didn't, and then as much as I want to make fun of bill, I just, I, I think it's a pretty fair trade. I, I, I understand where he's coming from and I guess <laughs> I'm glad I understand where he's coming from. Uh, uh, we have a dynasty dilemma to get to. What? Uh, let's do the short, the short clip. Uh, this week we are pitting T.J. Yeldon versus Carlos Hyde. Sorry, I forgot my player. Uh, uh, Nick chose first, so he will go first. Next week, I do have it already prepared. We have, um, sorry. Alfred Morris versus Latavius Murray. And I did this for a reason because I am taking Alfred Morris. Uh, it's going to be interesting as we take, me and Nick take on the uh, running backs from each other's favorite teams and pit them against each other. So next week, 
Nick's got Latavius Murray, and I got Alfred Morris. But this week, like I said, TJ Yeldon versus Carlos Hyde. Nick had the option to choose first. He went with TJ Yeldon. So, yes, Frank Gore had uh, 1,100 yards or more each of the last four seasons for San Francisco, but that by no means assures us that Carlos Hyde will do the same thing now. First of all, the depth chart at running back in San Francisco is crazy deep. The team brought in Reggie Bush, who's only one year removed from a 1,000-yard season. Uh, Kendall Hunter is back after an ACL injury, and the team used a fourth-round pick on Mike Davis, who, unlike most rookies, is actually a decent pass blocker, and that's something that impedes some rookie running backs from seeing playing time. I mean, heck, even former rugby star Jared Hain is making some noise in camp and in preseason action. That sounds like a lot of competition for Hyde, who only had 400 total yards as a rookie last year, playing behind a 31-year-old running back. Now let's look at the situation in Jacksonville backfield. Denard Robinson's decent, but he's not really built to be an every-down guy. So let's say he and Reggie Bush just cancel each other out for this argument. That leaves us with Toby Gerhardt, Bernard Pierce, and last year's seventh-round pick, Storm Johnson. Yeah, I'd say the best of that bunch is Gerhardt, and I, for one, would take any of those 49er running backs over Toby Gerhardt. So T.J. Yeldon has far less competition for playing time. He should see probably two-thirds of the work easily as long as he's not Trent Richardson. Now, I know, Josh, you're not the biggest Yeldon fan but by any means, but even you won't call him Trent Richardson, right? And finally, let's look at the value. Uh, Carlos Hyde's ADP is 3.11. That's a full round higher than Yeldon, who's going at a 4.12. So I'm waiting an extra round and getting a player with a clearer path to playing time in what could be an up-and-coming offense. They're so young there in Jacksonville. So I'll take y'all. Need to really take Gerhardt over Jared Hain? <laughs> you mean the other I way around, him. I would take Jared Hain over Gerhardt. I would take any of the 49er oh, yeah. running backs. Yeah, yeah. I smell another dilemma. Um, but it's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of thought you would go that route, so I was I came prepared, and I, and I kind of like going second, even though I don't get to choose. Um, it's worth stating, definitely worth stating, that Hyde is in a is at the top of a loaded RB depth chart. Kendall Hunter, Rich Bush, Mike Davis, rugby superstar Jared Hain, all lurk in murky waters, awaiting for their shot. But this is actually the reason that I love Hyde. Sometimes competition slash position battles can force those in danger of losing reps to really flourish. Yeah, excuse me, Hyde has been preparing for since for this since Gore's departure. He's dropped weight and he should be punishing opening hole open holes. Uh Reggie Bush is only is really only a change of pace back. But at his age and with his health record, I really I really think he's gonna be a shoe in to miss a few games this year. And plus Hyde is a decent pass catcher, so it's not like he's you know, Alfred Morris, where he's going to come off the field one step in passing position. I just, like, with the weight that, with the weight drop in the competition, I think Hyde's really going to be, be forced to elevate the game, and that's why I love him. Uh, he appears to be the most talented, Yeldon appears to be the most talented back on the Jags right now. Um, you know, but the, with the, with the depth chart, like you said, with Gerhardt and Storm Johnson. Uh, but just because Yeldon is from a big school kid doesn't mean he's going to be a big, time NFL player. I mean, the NFL is littered with mediocre Crimson Tide talent that got overdrafted. And I'm not saying Trent Richardson. I'm not going to go down that route anymore. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying there's certainly guys from big-time schools that don't 
aren't big time NFL players. Uh, I have no personal beef with Yeldon, uh, nor am I an Auburn supporter. I just feel very strongly that his running style will lead to either injuries or ineffectiveness, much like Darren McFadden. I think that's more of a more of a better comparison. I just think they both have kind of that upright running style. Um, I know I like to call Yeldon the wounded swan, uh, but if you watch film on him, the second Yeldon gets open field or the hole, or he gets past the hole, his head automatically pops up, and I just think strong safeties, you know, weak side linebackers are just going to tear him apart when he does that at the next level, and that's just really, really concerns me about him. Um, Hyde showed in limited action last year that he that uh, that he can play. Um, he has uncanny vision. I really think his vision is very very solid, very up, very underrated too. I think you're going to see that this year. You know, you talked about him not getting a whole lot of yards behind Frank Gore. San Francisco did not. There was a handful of games where he just did not see anything at all. I don't know what they were trying to do. You know, not obviously not trying to save Gore, but you know there were some games where Hyde were just just barely stepped on the field. So I think that's maybe why he was uh, somewhat ineffective there last year. But I think when he was on the field, he did make make some impressive moves. Um, and he almost never goes down on on first contact. Guy uh, is. Is a, is a very hard player to tackle, and I think with the added weight loss, it's going to make him a little bit faster, and I think that's going to be even more of a solid case. I think Yeldon is a solid athlete, but he shies away from contact whenever possible and very seldom breaks tackles, and this is only us watching college film on him. So if he can't break a tackle in college, what's he going to do in the NFL? Um, he dances outside as soon as possible. That does not sound like a three-down back to me. Uh, Hyde has been blasting through the line and that and would be tacklers already at the NFL level. I think Jannard Robinson is gonna take some reps away from Yeldon and if if he's ineffective, I think the team has no problem going to Robinson, especially this year. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Robinson's gonna get three hundred carries and Yeldon's gonna get sixty. I think Yeldon will be their starting running back. I just have some real concerns about that, and that's why while Hyde's ADP is certainly higher, I would definitely feel more comfortable with a guy who's already got a year of experience under his belt, spent the year with Frank Gore, a guy that's been hella successful over his over the last decade. And uh, that's, why I, that's why I like Hyde in this dilemma. Uh, any rebuttal there, Nick? Well, you made a lot of good points there, Josh. Uh, the one thing that I will dispute is you said that Carlos Hyde is a pretty decent pass catcher and won't be coming off the field like Alfred Morris. Uh, Hyde only caught 12 balls last year, and at Ohio State never caught over 16 passes in a season, whereas Alfred Morris last year caught 17 balls in a season. So you could actually make the argument that Morris is, is a better pass catcher than Hyde. Maybe Hyde is a good pass catcher and just hasn't been in the right offensive scheme to show it, but we haven't seen it from him yet. But it's exactly how I feel. The Ohio State very rarely throws the ball to the running backs, and San Francisco for some reason stopped too. They didn't, I guess they didn't think Frank Gore could do it anymore. They stopped about five years ago throwing the balls to the running backs. So um, uh, it's, it's, it was something that was lacking in their scheme, and maybe that'll change now. Uh, and I think I think he I think we're going to see a better pass catch right now. So. Um, 
Nick is going to rant. We had to do this thing most weeks, where we, a little thing that we like to call Nick rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor uh, to rant about something that is bothering him, and uh, usually it's NFL related. Um, sometimes so I want to talk for a minute about quarterbacks and their egos, or more specifically, players who are good to great college quarterbacks whose self-perception gets in the way of them actually helping the other 52 guys on an NFL team or even making an NFL roster. Yes, I'm talking to you, Tim Tebow. Too stubborn to admit they just aren't good enough to compete at the NFL level at the quarterback position. It, you know, it's got to be tough, you know, being a successful quarterback your whole life, from junior high school, high school, and then at a major university. I will concede that would be a tough pill to swallow, going from elite to not even roster worthy in the blink of an eye. But a guy like Tebow is very athletic and could help a team, just not a quarterback. So it was very refreshing to me uh, to see Terrell Pryor, who, by the way, is a better quarterback than Tim Tebow, uh, embrace the recent switch to wide receiver there in Cleveland. Now, I'm not saying he will be success for every every guy like Antoine Randall who did make the transition. There's probably a handful of guys like former Arkansas quarterback and Jacksonville first-round pick Matt Jones who failed. But the fact that Pryor is at least putting forth the effort to try to make it in the NFL one way or another shows me that he actually loves the game of football and can put his ego aside, as opposed to someone who just likes being a quarterback, the center of attention, the first one to receive praise after a win, you know, someone like Tebow. So good luck, Terrell Pryor. I, for one, will definitely be rooting for you. Uh, Ken is another guy, another guy that made the move. Um, and I think a lot of people, dynasty-wise, are excited about his future there. Um, he came from kind of the triple, you know, small school offense. Uh, and I agree. I mean, I not that people are going to be lined up with, you know, with waiver dollars or willing to spend a huge, a high pick on Tebow, but let's say Tebow made that move to running back. There'd be a lot of people very intrigued in the fantasy world because he is a, a kid that keeps himself in shape. Um, he certainly runs with a lot more power than just about any other quarterback I can think of. I just, he, he could still have glory if he made that move. And I just don't get, get the stubbornness of saying, well, I'm not going to change my position, even if it means I'm not on an NFL roster. That's basically what it boiled down to. You went from a first round pick to out of football. And now he's, you know, essentially reserve quarterback, uh, but they could come to with the issue. And I, and I'm not uh, Dean Blandino or whatever, but I know as a rule in the NFL, your third-string quarterback cannot play unless injuries, I think, until the fourth quarter. Um, so I think if they want to use him, he needs to be the backup quarterback. And maybe there's even a backup quarterback role. He needs to be the backup quarterback on the depth chart before the game if they want to use him for any type of skill set in the game or something like that. But if if he's listed as the backup and Sanchez as the third and Bradford, who has been hurt in the past, and maybe I'm way off in this, but if Bradford gets hurt, they would be stuck using Tebow until the fourth quarter, basically is what that would boil down to. So they're going to have to make a decision on what, what they 
need to do with him. And maybe I'm way off of that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I am, but I'm pretty sure that is the rule. And that just kind of came to me there. Uh, well, Nick rant, well, Nick is ranting. So, uh, yeah, Tebow, I, I, I love you and I hope you're successful, but, uh, maybe, maybe that is the right thing to do. Maybe it is time to change positions. Um, just wanted to talk a little bit about the pros versus Joe's, uh, fantasy Taz league. This is a 14 team league. I think I said last week that it was a 16 team league. Uh, but it is 14 teams and, um, this it's also a two quarterback league and the I and it's also an IDP league. So we're going to have extremely uh, deep rosters and the quarterback thing is unbelievable. Quarterbacks are just flying off of the board. I had to take Cutler and Dalton in the fourth and fifth round. I think it was uh, just because it is a two quarterback league and it's 14 teams. Tyrod Taylor just went, 8.03, if that makes uh, puts a little bit more in perspective there. Certainly got gaining gaining some steam, but uh, and Johnny Manziel went before that. So this two quarterback thing is certainly a, a new thing to me. I've been I am in a couple QB flex leagues where you can start a second quarterback, but you don't always have to. This league you have to start two every week, and it's just been really crazy. I still went Antonio Brown 1.01. And decided to wait on a quarterback for a couple rounds. Uh, as I went, um, like I said, Antonio Brown. Then I went C.J. Anderson and A.J. Green, second and the third. And then finally, I felt like I had to do it, so I went Dalton Cutler, who coincidentally had the same bye week, which I honestly can't say I didn't realize. Uh, but a wise person once told me it's okay to have a lot of the same players on a bye at the same time because. That's really the only time your your league's your team is going to be affected by that. So I'm okay with them having the same bye week, even if I can't fill up both, both things. And then in the sixth, I went Levante David and Giovanni Bernard. So Bernard is my second running back. Uh, not crazy about it, but there's still a lot of uh, high upside rookies out there. Gordon and uh, Gurley are gone, but, you know, the David Johnsons, the Cobbs, the uh, – Charles Sims is still out there. Cameron Artis Payne is still out there. So it'll be interesting to see how this draft uh, draft unfolds. But I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's a great concept for a league, and I got to commend uh, the Fantasy Task for organizing it. It's a 36 round draft, and uh, it's it's certainly an interesting concept as a fantasy pros versus some some uh, fantasy fans, and I'm sure Bruce. Uh, our, our mock draft monarch here, Bruce Kimbrough, had a hand in help and designed it too. So, um, and I think Bruce maybe told me once that he learned everything he knows from Jim Day. So Jim is obviously a great person in the community, um, and uh, has always been good to me and does helps us out at DFW as well. So it's an interesting concept for league, and I just wanted to share a little bit about that with you and kind of how the two quarterback thing is going. And I'll update you on there, even though there's probably not any more quarterbacks left. Uh, to be drafted, but um, oh, except of course Tebow is probably still out there, Nick. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what do you got for us for best uh, number twenty-four? Kind of a loaded number. What do you got for us? Uh, very loaded number. Uh, we'll start out with two guys who played in last year's Super Bowl: Marshawn Lynch, beast mode, over a thousand yards in six of his eight seasons, uh, over twelve hundred yards in each of the last four years, and a five-time Pro Bowler. There's no way the Seahawks go to two straight Super Bowls without him. Uh, next up, the six-time Pro Bowler, Darrell Revis, four-time All-Pro, maybe the best cornerback in the game when he's healthy, and he has played in all 16 games six of his eight years. 
Another current player, Charles Woodson, still going strong at 39 years old. 235 career starts, 60 interceptions is number one amongst current players, as is his 11 interceptions returned to touchdowns. Uh, playing strong safety his whole career, Adrian Wilson didn't rack up the interception numbers like Woodson. He only had 27, but he was very well respected. Five-time Pro Bowler for Arizona. Ty Law, a two-time Super Bowl champion with New England, five-time Pro Bowler with 53 interceptions. For a while, he was in the argument for the league's top cornerback. Uh, moving on, we got the Hall of Famer Lenny Moore, uh, Baltimore Colts, five, Colts uh, five-time All-Pro playing running back and receiver. Very interesting statistic. He never had 650 rushing yards in a year. Uh, 938 yards is his career high in receiving, but he went over 1,000 yards from scrimmage in five straight years. It would be really interesting to go and watch some old film on him to see how he was used. Everson Walls led the NFL in interceptions in 1981, 1982, and 1985 and was a four-time Pro Bowler for Dallas in the 1980s. Uh, now we're down to three names, and an argument could be made for any of them as the best number 24. They're all that good. We'll start with safety Willie Wood, a Hall of Famer who won five NFL championships with Green Bay in the 1960s. Five-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler. He actually didn't get into the Hall of Fame until his 10th year as a finalist. Uh, next up, we have Willie Brown, the cornerback who spent 12 years in Oakland after his first four years in Denver. 54 interceptions, five-time All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler. So how does one top a nine-time Pro Bowler like Willie Brown? Well, Champ Bailey went to a whopping 12 Pro Bowls with Washington and Denver. He two career interceptions. He led the NFL with 10 picks in 2006. The guy's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm sure some older listeners would probably rank one of the Willies higher, but when deciding, I just kept coming back to those 12 Pro Bowls, plus uh, Champ Bailey's dependability. He played in 13 or more games in 13 of his 15 seasons, so I had to go with Champ Bailey as the top 24 of all time. Uh, yeah, did you say Revis? Yeah, yeah, Revis, I mentioned the second guy. Yeah. Um, and TJ Yeldon, of course, I know you're a fan, also wearing <laughs> the number 24 currently. Uh, yeah, a great number. Um, I don't know. And maybe it's, it's the Raider versus the Red Raider and me versus the Redskins, you, but... Charles Woodson, man. No, I I know Champ is such a great shutdown corner for a long time. It's pretty hard to to look past 12, 12 Pro Bowls, but I got I got to give it to Woodson. Just the longevity and the effectiveness. I know Champ made the 12 Pro Bowls, but the last couple of years Champ just couldn't stay on the field. I mean, Woodson every year, he just is productive, whether it's IDP or whatnot. I mean, every year, that dude is just making plays. And I know he wore number 21 when he was in Green Bay, so you can maybe add that to the equation and knock him down a notch. But, I mean, the Raiders could have easily lost two more games, I think, last year if he wasn't on that defense because he is just making plays. Um, and he's also, you know, shown the ability to play corner and both safety positions to the NFL. So I just much respect for him. Obviously Marshawn Lynch is in the conversation. Good stuff on Lenny Moore as well. Um another another Hall of Famer that we didn't mention, Jack Christensen, a defensive back for the Detroit Lions from fifty one to fifty eight. Um Tio. Interesting. There's some basketball stats for him, too, on his uh, plaque for some reason. Uh, but uh, he was also a, a five-time Pro Bowler and a very 
very great defender and return specialist. Uh, six straight, six straight years of all NFL too. That's uh, John Leroy Christensen, otherwise known as Jack Christensen, uh, Detroit Lions. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think we're just at a standstill with Woodson, Woodson versus Bailey. Good stuff on uh, Lenny Moore, though. Like I said. Uh, Rebus could certainly be uh, in the conversation when he's all said and done, even though he's lost some some valuable time to injuries. Uh, it's pretty hard to, to not to not include Marshawn at the top of this list. I think there's a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest that would just conversation would begin and end with uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch. So with this, with this being such a loaded number, I guess it comes down to a uh, a preference or slash uh, Homer thing. So do you, do you agree there, Nick? Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys you could make the argument for there. There's really no wrong answer here. Okay. Well, well next week, dive into number 25, or should I say the Fred Belitnikoff era uh, show, but uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure there'll be some other people, maybe some other hall of famers that were the number 25 too, but uh, Yeah. Great show as always. Big thanks to uh, Chuck Podesty and uh, Bill for uh, Bill Latin for helping us out. Uh, and like I said, we'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll hear both of those guys in season. Chuck's going to be helping out each and out and every week as we make some uh, ATS p- picks. And uh, look forward to Chuck's going to have an article every week on DFW during the season two where he, he pinpoints a few games. Uh, that could be really good best for you. Something new that we've added here to DFW this offseason that we're very excited about. So look forward to Chuck's articles and look forward to listening to him explain kind of his thoughts and where he's coming from on a lot of that stuff on this podcast as the season progresses. So, um, and wow, what a great voice that guy's got on him. But uh, big thanks again to Chuck and Bill. Make sure you listen next week as we have Chris Ransom from DraftUtopia.com. Again, Chris is a, a super hard worker, and go to draftytopia.com and just see all the stuff that they have. They cover all all kinds of sports, and really, really in-depth do they cover them. So uh, Chris, like I said, friend of mine, as we talk about uh, the bus candidates next year, or this year, I should say. So look forward to that next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Have a great week. Nick, any closing thoughts? Uh, just I uh, look forward to next week's Dynasty Dilemma. It'll be fun to uh, fit in Murray against Alfred Morris. Okay. So, I also noticed that uh, Justin Hunter is actually making some waves in camp. How is that guy even playing? I, I don't get that. I mean, did he stab somebody, or maybe that was fabricated? But uh, uh, I don't. I don't know how that made the. I don't know how he's still in camp and not behind bars. So. Uh, certainly is something to uh to keep in mind but this has been the dynasty pulse podcast talk to you all next week thank you so much for listening uh thanks to our amazing guest uh keeps the show lively and keeps it different each and every week so uh have a good week people Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Nikki, Gail Taylor, Wagner, and Joshua Johnson. Bye, people.